0: And welcome to episode 76 of the Creative Writers Toolbelt. This is the first of two episodes looking at the issue of why the sound of our writing is so important. And to start with, I'd like you to think of a piece of music that you like, something that particularly moves you. Imagine it in your mind for a moment. Listen especially to the rhythm of the music the way in which the tune encourages an emotional response. If you can, stop this podcast for a few seconds and just imagine that piece of music playing in your mind. Now, if your piece of music had lyrics, you'll have noticed how the music transforms those words, giving them life and energy and meaning. Music has immense power. It's able to express feelings and moods. It's able to create atmosphere through rhythm, the range of instruments playing, the interplay of harmony and melody. The sheer quality of the sound can make a massive impact on us. And the written word also has a kind of music to it as it's read. And that music, the sound of those words, can go a long way to enhancing or hindering the whole experience of the reader. Now, you might think that the main part of a story is its content, those dimensions that we've been covering, like plot and setting and character. But in fact, the presentation of a story consists of two basic elements. First, there is, of course, the story that you're telling. But secondly, there's also the way that you tell the story, the way it sounds to the reader. And both of these aspects need to be excellent if you're going to succeed. The sound of words, individually and together, have power. The way words work together, their rhythm, their pace, and the ease with which they convey meaning, all of these things contribute to the quality of your work. And it doesn't matter whether we're writing to entertain, or to convey understanding, or to do both of these objectives, the sound of what we write is a critical issue. So what do I mean by the sound of a piece of writing? Well in this episode we're going to look more closely at the issues that affect the sound of our writing. We're going to try and understand what good writing sounds like and work out how we can apply some practical techniques to achieve that quality in our work. And to help with this I'm going to refer to two books in particular both of which I recommend to you and these are The First Five Pages by the literary agent Noah Lukeman, and Steering the Craft A 21st Century Guide to Sailing the Sea of Story by the author Ursula Le Guin. Now, both of these people believe that the way in which the narrative is constructed and the way it sounds to the reader are critical elements in good writing. Noah Lukeman, for example, says this. There is a sound to prose. Writing is not just about getting a story across. It's also, if not mainly, about how you get there. Now, this guy has represented Pulitzer Prize and New York Times bestseller writers, and he knows what good writing is. And Ursula Le Guin also knows what she's talking about. For those of you who haven't heard of her, she's won numerous awards across science fiction and fantasy genres and beyond. She's an SFWA Grand Master and has received the National Book Foundation's Medal for Distinguished Contribution to American Letters. And on the subject of the sound of writing, she says this, An awareness of what your writing sounds like is an essential skill for a writer. So, with the help of these experts, let's have a look at some of the problems related to the sound of writing, and then we can move on to some of the practical techniques for fixing them. First of all, sentence construction and punctuation. If writing sounds wrong, it's often because there's a problem with the sentence construction. Now, There's nothing subtle or deeply technical about this, a poorly constructed sentence is pretty obvious to most readers, and it can bring your otherwise brilliant story to a judgering halt. Sentences can be poorly constructed because they're too long, or too short, or badly punctuated. Let's consider the first of those three conditions. Listen to this sentence. It is not simply enough when planning for retirement to think that the state will provide in a way that it has been doing for decades an adequate pension so that in our twilight years, as we look to wind down and rest and hope for long-term security and the hope that we will be looked after just fine when the evidence gathered recently and critiqued by some of the finest minds indicates that rather than being the great provider that our parents and even grandparents took for granted, the state will actively be seeking with an eye to fiscal responsibility ways to cut some of the escalating costs which old age pensions represent and if they have a chance to claw back some of the income enjoyed by the more wealthy old through a propagation of taxes licenses and fees and of course that perennial curse of the middle classes the subject of complaints in the broadsheets, the inheritance tax now i've written that as one sentence and clearly it's too long and too convoluted and any reader will have trouble navigating their way around the whole thing And the consequence of this is that they will either stop reading or they'll be so distracted by the complexities of what's being said that they won't actually pay attention to the meaning. Now at the opposite extreme, consider this passage. You can go. I'll be there. I'll look for you. I'm bound to find you. It's a big place. We all know that. There's time to look. You won't be alone for long. Make sure you look for me. We'll find each other. It'll be okay. Now here we've gone to the other extreme. That's 11 sentences in a very short space. And although what I've said might make broad sense, the fact that they are all short sentences means that the rhythm of the piece is wrong. Now the current trend in popular writing is away from longer sentences to short, punchier ones. And there will often be merit in cutting sentence lengths, but as Ursula Le Guin says, Prose, consisting entirely of short, syntactically simple sentences, is monotonous, choppy and irritating. If you use just short sentences even in dialogue, it's hard to create complex mood and feeling, or to construct an argument or a sense of place and setting. Now often shorter sentences will come as a result of editing, and there is a balance to be struck here. As I'll mention later on, editing is often a matter of cutting, and that can mean shorter sentences. But short sentences are not a good thing in themselves. Rather, our objective is to create writing that fully engages the reader, that makes the meaning clear, that generates passion and interest, and holds attention. Now we can also have poor sentence construction just in itself, and punctuation is an important element here. Now, whilst punctuation is a subjective thing, if it's handled badly, it can make a sentence seem ambiguous and very odd. Consider this frankly horrible example. The man called Jeff and he came over to Jeff, who was standing for office as the local mayor, also approached him. Now, I'll read that sentence again. The man called Jeff and he came over to Jeff, who was standing for office as the local mayor, also approached him. Now this sentence is a disaster of commas and missing semicolons and it's all over the place. Clear punctuation helps the reader to understand what they're reading. As Ursula Le Guin says, punctuation tells the reader how to hear your writing. That's what it's for. And sentence construction and punctuation are both really doing the same job. They're there to assist the reader in understanding the meaning of the piece of writing. When they go wrong, there is misunderstanding and confusion. But when they work, the message of the writing is conveyed with clarity and precision. Right at the beginning of her book, Ursula Le Guin says this about the sound of writing. The test of a sentence is, does it sound right? She also goes on to talk about the pace of a piece of writing. And she says this, the chief duty of a narrative sentence is to lead to the next sentence. And here she's making the point, the good writing keeps the story moving. It has energy. But if you get these things that I'm talking about wrong, if the sentence construction doesn't work, if the punctuation doesn't work, then the sentences do not flow on. The piece does not have pace and the reader will stop. They'll become confused and they might well walk away. Let's move on to another source of problems with the sound of writing, and that is tired idioms and cliches. So let's start with some definitions first of all. An idiom is a phrase or an expression that has crept into the language as a representation of an idea or a meaning. For example, at the drop of a hat means without hesitation or instantly. The balls in your court means it's up to you to make the decision. Now the problem with idioms in written communication is that whilst they start out fresh and effective, as they're used again and again, they're almost like a piece of chewing gum. They lose their flavour, they become tired and eventually just irritating. The same thing can happen with metaphors. Now a metaphor is a figure of speech applied in a way that helps to give someone a sense of what's happening. Let me give you an example of a couple of metaphors. The wheels of the justice system turn slowly. They hung on every word she said. These phrases are not meant literally, but they do convey a sense of meaning within them. One of the other problems that makes the sound of language jar and break down is a mixed metaphor, which is a combination of two metaphors. And that combination is likely to cause confusion. So, for example, the metaphor, getting your ducks in a row means getting organized, whereas singing off the same sheet means a group of people uniting around a purpose. But if you bring these two together, you might get getting your ducks to sing off the same sheet, which might be slightly amusing, but it's probably gonna confuse the reader. Now, there are two problems with all of these phrases. First, they might be used incorrectly so that their meaning is obscured and confusing. And secondly, as I've already mentioned, they might get used so much that they start to feel tired and hackneyed and to your reader they become a cliché. Let me give you an example of how this can go wrong. Consider this passage. If we're going to put ourselves in a position where we can see the wood from the trees and grasp the nettle in relation to the problem of climate change, then we will have to start to think outside the envelope. In order for us to make a success of this thinking, we need to prioritise our objectives and focus on the mission-critical aspects of the piece. It's terrible, isn't it? It's just wrong. It's just a horrible passage. And it's wrong for several reasons. First of all, it's wrong because it's full of tired cliches like see the wood from the trees and grasp the nettle. Secondly, it's also wrong because there's this ridiculous mixed metaphor in it, we will have to start to think outside the envelope, which is a horrible hybrid of thinking outside the box and pushing the envelope. There's also some baggy connecting phrases in here, like if we are going to put ourselves in a position and then we will have to start to think. And these are what I want to look at next. So the third problem is baggy connecting phrases. This is a real problem, I think, for people who do a lot of writing in their business lives. It's easy when we're just banging out emails for us to end up using waffly, baggy phrases, which could either be cut or replaced with one or two words. Let's go back to my last example. I'll read it for you again. If we're going to put ourselves in a position where we can see the wood from the trees and grasp the nettle in relation to the problem of climate change, then we will have to start to think outside the envelope. In order for us to make a success of this thinking, we need to prioritise our objectives and focus on the mission critical aspects of the piece. Now there are some very baggy connecting phrases in this passage, like, if we are going to put ourselves in a position, and then we will have to start to think, and in order for us to make a success of. Now these all could be replaced with nothing at all or with one or two words. So for example, the phrase, if we are going to put ourselves in a position where we can see the wood from the trees and grasp the nettle in relation to the problem of climate change, can be boiled down simply to, if we're going to deal with climate change. And as for this phrase, in order for us to make a success of, you could just completely cut that out. Let's look at another area where there are problems and that's repeating words. Now this is a problem that's fairly simple to deal with and it's fairly simple to identify as well because when you read your work, these repeating words will come out. There'll be echoes of them as you read the passage. So listen to this example. The yellow balloon bobbed and then floated up into the sky. The little boy had released the string attached to the balloon for a moment and that was enough for the balloon to slip away out of reach. The boy stared up at the balloon as it shrank from sight, blown aloft by the wind and the heat, tossing the balloon around in the air currents, shrinking the balloon as it flew further away into the sky. Now, one of the problems with this passage is simply that the word balloon appears too many times. We can hear the echo of it and it jars slightly. In fact, the word balloon is used six times in that passage. That's way too much. Now, the easy way and the best way to solve problems like this is to just use a pronoun. So the pronoun it can stand in for the word that we're repeating. And that pronoun gives relief to an overused noun. And it's fine as long as it's clear what the it refers to. So those are some of the problems that you can have with the sound of your writing. But what about the solutions? Well, a lot of these problems can be resolved by using the same strategies. And all of these strategies are really focused on one thing, and that's getting your editing right. The editing phase is where problems within sentences and within paragraphs, and even within longer passages of work can be examined and resolved. And here are a few practical tips to help you do this. First of all, you must believe in editing. Practically everyone should edit their work. Now, it's possible that you think your prose is perfect from the first draft, but that's very unlikely to be true. There are a few writers who write their best work the first time. Most of those writers are actually terribly bad writers, much worse than you are, and no amount of editing will help them. So for them, it's a waste of time doing any editing because their stuff is just irredeemable. Then there are a very few writers who are at the other end of the spectrum. They are geniuses, and they produce perfect work first time. Now, if you're one of these people, why are you listening to this podcast? Go away and write great prose. For the rest of us, the editing process is going to be relevant, essential, occasionally painful, but ultimately rewarding. So with that said, let's think about the main aspect of editing, which is in fact cutting words. And again, to quote Noah Lukeman. Most sound problems can be fixed by simple cutting. And this is the truth. Most editing consists of clearing out the superfluous words that are actually obscuring meaning rather than adding to them. It's a painful process, of course, like surgery. You have invested in your work and now here you are cutting bits of it off from the main body. But it is a process we have to go through and it's a process that will improve your work. Now, one of the strategies that you can use to really give your editing process strength and potency is simply to read your work aloud. Now, I appreciate that most people don't want to hear themselves reading their own unedited work. It's embarrassing and it's arduous and nearly everyone struggles to find a space where reading their own work won't impact on somebody else. You might even need to go outdoors somewhere to do this. But the rewards are significant. There are aspects to the sound of writing that can be much better detected when the words are spoken than when they're simply read silently. And these rewards can come in the form of spotting mistakes in sentences, like repetitions or turns of phrase, or punctuation that doesn't work. But there's also a benefit that comes from reading a longer passage, This will give you an insight into the way your writing sounds over a period of time. It will allow you to understand the overall rhythm, the overall flavor of what you're saying. And it will help you to discern what is and what is not your authentic voice. The next thing to think about is getting someone else to look at your work. If you've read and reread your stuff and you've edited it and re-edited it and you've taken it as far as you can go, you might now benefit from having someone else look at it. Now, I'll have more to say about the review and editing process in a later episode, but for now, let's think of the potential options for editing in three groups. First of all, interested friends and family members. Secondly, a writing group. And thirdly, a professional. Let's have a look at each of those in turn. First of all, you might give your work to a friend or a family member, and they're quite likely to be amenable to that, but they're not likely to give you an honest response, either because they don't have the technical ability to do so or because they don't want to upset your feelings, or perhaps both. A better bet is the second option, the reading group. Now, this could be a physical group that you meet with or an online group. And as with professional help, which we'll come to in a moment, it's best to present your work to this group once you've got it in as good a state as you can get it. The other alternative after that is to get your work professionally critiqued. Now, I'm a strong advocate of this practice. I know it's difficult because it costs money, but once you've done the best you can with your work, it is incredibly helpful to use the services of a professional editor. And the kind of advice that you can get is the sort of thing that you won't get from friends, you won't get from family, and you won't even get from amateur editors that you know in your writing group. One last tip, leave your work to mature. There is a benefit that we can get from the perspective of time. If you've edited your work several times over, your familiarity with it can become a hindrance. You fail to see mistakes because you simply read them into the script. You lose the capacity to see outside your work, to see what else it could be. And one way to solve that problem is to put the manuscript away for a while, several days at least, and then to come back to it when you will have a fresh perspective. You might spot some mistakes and you may also have some new ideas about what you can do with the manuscript. So there's a range of ideas to help you improve the sound of your work. Now we're going to develop this theme in the next episode by looking at a number of examples of writing where the sound of work is exemplary. And we're going to explore why they work so well and what we can learn from it. Not so that we copy the style of these people, but that we learn the lessons of creating writing that just sounds excellent. So that's it for this episode. I hope all of this has been useful to you. Today I have quoted from the following works. The first five pages by the literary agent Noah Lukman and Steering the Craft, a 21st century guide to sailing the sea of story by the author Ursula Le Guin. I'll get some show notes up on Pinterest. I think I'll put that hideous sentence with all the pauses in it onto Pinterest as well so you can have a look at it. We have a group at Goodreads if you want to go there. It's goodreads.com look up the creative writers tool belt and you can get in touch with me via my website andrewjchamberlain.com email me at andrew at andrewjchamberlain.com so that's all for now and so until next time thank you again for listening and goodbye